New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today I'm hosting Greg Lavoie, and he's the author of Vital Signs, The Nature and Nurture of Passion. Greg, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you so much. In your book, you describe something about your mother, Mm. and she was one of the first female stockbrokers ever on Wall Street. Very vital woman, but when she retired, her life took a certain trajectory, which you may not recommend for us, but I'd love for you to kind of describe how she decided to do her life. Yeah. Well, you know, in the acknowledgments page in the new book, uh, the last but not least entry there is uh, an acknowledgement of my mom, quote, for being a consummate role model in living a passionate life. But the postscript to that acknowledgement explains why I have a personal interest in the subject of passion. And that is that in the last 15 or 20 years of her life, her get up and go got up and went, mm-hmm. her spark, her mojo, her life force. And uh, I think it was a, a victim of both a certain amount of neglect and a certain amount of the law of entropy, frankly. I mean, the law of entropy just simply tells us that systems tend to lose energy over time unless more energy is pumped into the system. But she stopped pumping energy into the system. When she retired and went through a second divorce, she just began circling the drain. Mm -hmm. And she stopped investing herself in life and stopped investing in herself and stopped um, engaging with life. And... uh, and I began to wonder, having w- witnessed this up front, how does this happen that yes. passion turns into dispassion? How does it happen that somebody with so much life force and engagement uh, loses their appetite for being in the game? Exactly. And so this really uh, was a pivotal piece in, in writing the book at all for me, is to ask these questions, how does it happen? What downward pulling forces will siphon our vitality out of us? And I know that you go through a litany of what you suggested to her as you're trying to fix her, yes. so to speak. You know, oh, well, you could volunteer. And she said, oh, or you could do this or that. What did you come up with, some of the things Oh, I said, with? well, how about taking art classes? Oh, I did that already. As if art is something you do once and check off a list. You know, I uh, said, how about taking a music appreciation course uh, at the university? They'll take you on field trips to the symphony and the opera because she wasn't driving. Oh, those are for old people. So what about a trip? Nah. What about volunteering with SCORE? And she said, oh, please. Volunteering counts for absolutely nothing on a resume. And I said, mom, you're 82. Are you still building a resume? You know, and so what I realized is I had to give up my own good fight at this point, the one where I continued to encourage and inspire and cajole her to come back to life. And it was a terrible um, failure, loss for me, especially as Mr. Callings and Mr. Vital Signs, that my own mother was throwing my game all off. And I realized you can't do this for somebody else. You can't rescue them from their own decisions. And it was a little moment of Greek tragedy for me. 
Exactly. And it really forced you to look at that question and come back to your own life and say, okay, where am I doing this in my life? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I was all set to congratulate myself for having fallen far from the tree. And then I remembered, for instance, a conversation I had with my brother Ross when we were in our early 30s, comparing notes on all the passions and pleasures we'd let slide since college. And it was quite a list. Dancing, camping, guitar playing, piano playing, kayaking, et cetera, et cetera. And I realized, wow, I'm a little farther down the road from where my mother is now. I can see that I could end up where she is, despite my best laid plans. Right. And I started to look at what does it take to come back to life? What does it take to reignite the spark? You give an example, a powerful example, not only of your own leaving a secure job as a reporter for the Cincinnati Inquirer right. and having a roof over your head and all of that and leaving that job. Mm. You give an example of that, and you also give another example, I think, later in the book of one of your brothers who was a tenured professor at Stanford University. Yep. Huge security, yep. huge security. And what happened with him? How did he decide to go for life? He had a, a partial leave of absence, and he went to work for Google. And at the time, he was working on the Google Glass project, which I gather they've pulled the plug on since. But in that year or so that he was on that paid leave of absence, he realized, I'm having way more fun at Google, and I'm enjoying a whole bunch of new, fresh challenges. And he could not avoid that. He said it was the single hardest decision of my life. And, you know, it doesn't get much more prestigious or secure, like you said, than a tenured professorship at Stanford. But he decided in the final analysis that he was having more fun and that that was a precious commodity. He told you that he had on his bulletin oh. board for years and years yeah. and years a little article that you had sent him. Do you remember what that article said? I sure said? do. It was a little tiny newspaper clipping, and it said, um, how fossils are formed. Step one, get tenure. Step two, teach for 20 years. And he said, I kept that thing pinned to the center of my bulletin board, and I swore that would never happen to me. And in fact, by the time I leave Stanford in a couple of years, he said it will have been exactly 10 year plus 20 years. Thank you for sending me the clipping. So it's never too late to go for that which is vital. Absolutely. No, our vitality will attempt to push through until the last possible moment of consciousness. One of my favorite metaphors for this is that during World War II, the bombing of London broke holes in the Natural History Museum. Light and moisture got into the buildings and mimosa seeds that had been brought over from China in 1793 and stashed in wooden collection cases started sprouting after a 150-year sleep. And I love this as a metaphor for coming back to life because we, too, possessed of life force as we are, are capable of revival. No matter how long and deep the sleep, we, too, are capable of revival. So there's always hope for that. And you don't mean that we should just sort of jump off the cliff and leave our relationship or leave our job, you know, just say, okay, I'm going to go for it. But there is an exploration that needs to happen. Absolutely. An acknowledgement that something is missing for starters. Uh, again, I'm generally not of the turn the apple cart over school of thought on making change. The small steps approach. Identify, for instance, where do you lose passion and vitality? Just identify where you lose it. 
not just the big stuff, but like a job that sucks the life out of you or your eager mind being put in boring circumstances for a living or having no life goals that you feel any passion for, but the little stuff like my habit of waking up in the morning and the first thing that gets me out of bed is a negative thought typically about something I've got to get done or something I was supposed to get done yesterday and didn't or um, a rebuke in my head for letting myself sleep in and my feet hit the floor on a negative thought. Uh, begin to identify little habits that drain your energies. That's a really good one because we often do wake up with our to-do list is the first thing exactly. in our brain. And so what's an antidote to that, Greg? Waiting a couple of minutes, lying in bed until a more affirmative thought crosses my mind and only touching my feet to the floor on that note. Okay. All right. All right. So you're laying there, your to-do list comes up and then you... Like we learn in meditation, we let that just fall away like a cloud, drift away. And maybe we call up some gratitude or something. That's right. Or a, a bird sound outside the window exactly. and hitting your feet on the floor only on, on an upswing rather than a downer. Nice. And I think it starts our day off on that tone. Those nice. are some of the ways I encourage people to identify how to work with this. And so you're saying like when we look at where we lose our vitality... It's not like figuring out our whole mission statement, right. although that might be a might good be thing to do. Exactly. But it's finding those little little moments right. when we feel contracted. That's right. Little switches, you know, um, that you can turn on, little points of decision that take you either toward or away from your sense of aliveness. Yes. That to me is the trim tab approach. Yeah. Would you suggest that we kind of write out a little mission statement for our lives. I mentioned mission statement. Oh. And if so, that would help us to say, oh, is this taking me more towards that which I long for, that yeah. that's what I value? Absolutely. I think it's a great exercise. And in fact, I recommend a book called The Path by Lori Beth Jones. It's a little tiny book that's about how to craft a mission statement that really captures nice. your sense of values, what you want to contribute to the world, and who you want to contribute it to specifically. I remember the sculptor Henry Moore once said, the secret to life is to have a task, something you bring everything to, devote all your time to, and the most important thing is it must be something you cannot possibly do. The point being, hook yourself up to a, something that's a much greater frame of reference, like the people who worked on Chart Cathedral. That took 200 years to build. You know, most of them never live to see the completion. Hook yourself up to some greater meta value or meta passion that you devote your time to, whether it's curing cancer or bringing people joy and happiness as a comedian or um, whatever. And not worrying about the outcome. I mean, like saying it has to come out this way. Right. As you say, you may not live to see the outcome. Well, Henry Moore's point is you have to hook yourself up to something you will never live long enough to see, peace on earth, you know, exactly. that sort of thing. So there's something about that as a mission statement is to hook yourself up with something that doesn't depress you because it's overwhelming, but it draws you out into it because it inspires you. I know that you've taken some improv classes, especially, and Nina Wise is someone who's been on New Dimensions, and she's an, a teacher of improv. And one of the precepts of improv is to always say yes. That's right. And that's what you're talking about, is saying yes to life. Absolutely. Saying yes and finding lots of ways. I, I think of the brainstorming technique. The primary question in the brainstorming technique is, in how many ways can I? 
In how many ways can I say yes to my passion in this arena? In how many ways can I say yes to my passion in that arena? In how many ways can I give myself to others? In how many ways can I be of service? So that question throws it wide open. Mm -hmm. There's not just one way to do it. There's multitudes of ways. Right. And I think that's the approach that will bring passion into our lives in multitudes of ways. Well, we're so goal-oriented and we, you know, make our lists and strategic plans. Sure. But you're saying... Put a little spice in that. Well, here's a list. I'm a list maker. I find that I get stuff done. I do less forgetting. I cut down on profanity in the house when I make to-do lists and inventory lists and shopping lists. How about making a list of nothing but pleasures? (laughs) List the the pleasures that are part of an average week in the life of Justine Willis-Toms. Lovely. Little stuff. uh, Spooning with my dog. Eating chocolate mousse right? Whatever. Just to make a list for list makers of pleasures, just to remind yourself that they're they're there to be had. How wonderful. Oh, Greg, that's so great. Our assignment, all right, for me and all of our listeners, and we're all probably list makers, make a list of pleasures. I love it. Greg, I want to thank you so much for being part of the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you so much. I've been speaking with Greg Lavoie. He's the author of Vital Signs, The Nature and Nurture of Passion. And if you'd like to know more about his work, you can go to his website, greglavoie.com. And he spells his name G-R-E-G-G-L-E-V-O-Y, greglavoie.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I want to thank you for joining us on the New Dimensions Cafe. And please do join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.